So today we're going to talk about something that can um, lead us to a place where, where we really uh, get bogged down and we hit a wall. And, and to help explain that, I want to ask the room real quick, how many of us have seen the movie Mulan? Yeah? Not enough hands are up in the room. Mulan is like one of the absolute best Disney movies. It was one that I watched when I was a kid. It's fantastic. It's hilarious. Sam, you love Mulan? Yeah, you love Mulan. I know you do. Sam, if you ever want to know about any kids' movies, Sam can recite like every one for you verbatim. It's a fantastic thing. Maybe Trolls. That's his most recent favorite one. So... Uh, for those who have not been initiated, Mulan is the story of a young Chinese woman living, you know, this is many, many hundreds of years ago. Um, it's a period piece. And, um, and she's got an issue, is that she doesn't seem to fit in. Uh, when she looks around at the people around her, she doesn't seem to fit in. The very beginning of the movie, we're introduced to her as she is about to participate in this matchmaking ceremony where she has to get all dolled up and dressed up and, and she has to look the part. She has to fit the part of a young Chinese woman and this matchmaker is going to evaluate how good she is and then she's going to assign her a husband based upon her value. It's a terrible system. So um, she goes through this, and it's hilarious how bad she is at it. She ends up pouring tea all over the matchmaker's head, and, and it becomes very clear early on in the film that Mulan is not a typical, traditional young Chinese woman, especially for when she lives. And so um, she knows that she wants to be something different, that she doesn't fit in there, that that's not who she is. And so what she wants to be is bold and strong and courageous. And so she looks around, again, she looks around, and she begins to look at, at who gets to be bold and strong and courageous, and she sees her father, who is this war hero. And, and she says, maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe I need to be a man in order to be bold and strong and courageous. And so she, she puts on this sort of charade, and she dresses up and, and, and conceals her identity and, and goes and joins the army because they're being attacked by the Huns. And, and she pretends like she's a man because she wants to be bold and strong and courageous. And, and during the course of the film, there's this big battle scene, and she saves the day. She saves her commanding officer. She, she, she wins the battle for her men, and, and, but she's injured. And so then in the course of them uh, helping her heal, they discover that she's a woman, and so she's cast out of the army because she's not a man. And so she's left in this really weird in-between where she knows she doesn't want to be a traditional woman and she knows that she can't be a man and so what is she going to do? And then this really cool thing happens in the third act of the film. The, the Huns are bearing down on the Chinese empire and, and they're attacking at the, at the imperial palace and, and they're, they're, they're threatening the life of the emperor and who shows up? but Mulan. And not Mulan dressed up in, in, in the male armor and the army regalia. No, she's wearing a dress and she's kicking butt at the same time. It's awesome. She saves the day and she saves the day as Mulan, who is bold and strong and courageous and not anybody else. And it's such an amazing film to me. You know, as a kid, you watch it and you enjoy it because it's funny and it's got some good lessons. But as an adult, I look back and I watch it, and I, especially as, as a father to a daughter now, and I think, what a cool film that can tell you, you know what, the comparison game, looking around and trying to see how do I fit in, who do I need to be like, that doesn't really lead us anywhere good. Ultimately, in this life, we've got to find a place where we can arrive at this place that says, I'm not this and I'm not that. I'm just me and that's okay. 
And that's the story of Mulan. And it's not just the story of Mulan, it's also the story of Moses. Now, see, that's a fun connection. Mulan to Moses. We're going to have some fun today. Today, I want us to look at the story of Moses, because Moses' story is very similar to Mulan's in a lot of ways. Both of them deal with this basic, fundamental human question, which is this. We'll see it on the screens. It says, how do we move from comparison to contentment? How do we move from comparison to contentment? Quick poll of the room. Have you compared yourself to somebody else this morning? Raise your hand. Yes, we're at church. Raise your hand. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. If maybe not this morning, you've done it this week, right? This is something that we struggle with a lot. We struggle with it as people. It's a big part of our culture in Dallas. Let's acknowledge that. The comparison game is real, and it can be the death of us if we let it get a hold of us in the wrong way. Moses is going to be on a journey in the very few opening chapters of Exodus that's going to take him from comparison to contentment, just like Mulan had to do. And we're going to read through a story together. So are you all ready to, to learn about Moses this morning? I love Old Testament stories. I'm excited to learn about Moses. hope you are too. Let's pray before we do. Holy God, God of old stories that can reveal new truths, I ask that you would speak through these scriptures this morning. Help us to acknowledge the ways that we compare ourselves and we resist being who you've called us to be. Keep us walking humbly in your will. Amen. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 2 to sort of help pick you up to speed. Maybe this is your first day in church. I never want to assume that we know anything, especially when we're teaching Old Testament stuff, because you may have learned about this when you were a kid in Sunday school. Trust me, it might not be the same story you remember. So um, in Exodus 1, we're picking up in the land of Egypt, where the Israelites, the Hebrew people, have become enslaved. And there's a new Pharaoh in town. And this Pharaoh doesn't remember a guy named Joseph uh, and his technicolor dream coat and how it was actually a Hebrew who helped Egypt survive a great famine. This Pharaoh doesn't remember all that. And so he despises the Israelites. And he says, you know what? Uh, they're getting a little too big and they're getting a little too strong. So in order to help with this problem, uh, I'm going to start killing all the infant boys. Well, that's a big problem. And so Moses' mother uh, gives birth to Moses, and, and she raises him for a few months as long as she can keep him hidden, but it gets to the point where if you've ever had a small child, you know that it's hard to keep them hidden, right? Uh, and so he gets to the age where she knows something's got to happen or else uh, the Pharaoh and his, and his people are going to take her son and, and kill him. So she builds this little basket, and she puts Moses in it, and she floats him down the Nile, and... Wouldn't you know it that that basket goes floating right down to Pharaoh's palace, and it's Pharaoh's daughter and her, and her handmaids who, who find the basket, and Moses ends up joining Pharaoh's family. In, in verse 11 of chapter 2, we, we read this. We'll see it on the screens. One day after Moses had become an oh, I'm sorry, I'm skipping a little bit. So he joins the, the, the Pharaoh's family, and, and he grows up, and then we see this. This is, this is where his life takes a turn. Um, one day after Moses had become an adult, he went out among his people, and he saw their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. 
He looked around to make sure that no one else was there. Then he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So we're going to stop there for right now. So this is the decision that's going to change Moses' life and take him on a totally different path. This is a, a young man who had the fortune of being raised in Pharaoh's palace, right? Can you imagine? A, a kid that was destined for death, instead he's being raised in the palace of Pharaoh. Like, that's a pretty good dice roll, yeah? And then he comes across this scene where all of a sudden his world seemed to be colliding, because he sees something that as the son of Pharaoh, as, as a member of Pharaoh's family, should not bother him, right? He sees a slave driver beating a Hebrew slave. As a member of Pharaoh's palace, this should be like normal. This should be expected. This should be something that he walks on by. But he doesn't. Because there's something in him that says, this is wrong. This shouldn't be happening, you know, Moses doesn't really know exactly who he is, yet he doesn't know God as God. He doesn't know that these people are his people. You know, he's been, he's been raised in this Pharaoh's palace. He, he knows what he's expected to do as a good Egyptian, and yet, as a good person, he can't let this stand. You know, when I read this, it makes me think about this. This is the first part of moving from comparison to contentment. Number one is that we've got a big issue with expectations, if I were to ask you, what are you expected to do in your life? Whew, we could be here for a while, right? Everybody has expectations for us. From the moment that we are born, we have expectations placed upon us. Like, I expect Andy uh, to be sweet, and when I say, come give me a hug, come give me a hug. And so when I say, come give me a hug, and she thinks it's funny, go like, ha, 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 no. I'm like, oh, why do you hate me? She's running away already. She's going to graduate soon, Right? We all have expectations that we put on each other. We, have, we get them from our parents, we get them from our teachers, we get them from our professors, we get them from our bosses, we get them from our coworkers, from our, from our brothers and our sisters and our friends and our boyfriends and our girlfriends and our spouses and our partners, and oh my gosh, before long we've got all these expectations that we're carrying around, and here's the worst part of it, is they don't always agree. You know, I'm a pastor, and so you'd think that like we would be really good at this whole work-life balance thing, but that's not true. There's times in my life where I have to make a pit, I have to make a choice. Am I gonna, am I gonna do what my profession expects of me or what my family expects of me? Whew, that's tough stuff. Anybody know how that feels? No? North Dallas, anybody know how that feels? And it's not just that. I mean, it, what my parents expect of me versus what my spouse expects of me. What the person driving on Highway 75 expects of me, use that turn signal, right? Everybody has expectations. And sometimes these expectations come up against each other. And we're put in a position where we have to make a choice. Because guys, here's the absolute truth that we're going to start here. If you don't get this, we're going to have a hard time this morning. Everyone has expectations of you. You have to decide which ones matter the most. Because there's going to be times in your life when they're going to come, push comes to shove, and you've got to make a decision Am I going to be a good Egyptian, or am I going to be a good person? Now, I'm not saying that what Moses did was right. Let's be very clear. He killed a guy. This is a big sin. It's one of the Ten Commandments that he's going to end up receiving from God. I bet that was an awkward moment. But he did it for the right reasons. Okay, I'm going to carve with a scalpel. He did the wrong thing, but he did it for the right reasons. He had to make a choice. Am I going to be a good Egyptian, or am I going to be a person who has a heart for the oppressed? Which one am I going to be? Because I can't be both in this moment. So this morning, I want you to think about, and not just this morning, but this week, as you go out of this place, I want you to think about all of the expectations that you carry 
and which ones you're really going to listen to. Because here's the deal, if you allow it, everyone else in your world is going to dictate the way that you live your life, if you allow it, if you just sort of passively float through. You'll let everybody dictate the way that your life goes. And it's up to us to decide which expectations am I actually going to listen to the most. How am I going to listen to the expectations that God has for my life? How am I going to listen to the expectations that my spouse or my partner has for my life? How am I going to listen to the expectations that I have for my life? Ooh, this is a tough one for some of us. When's the last time you asked yourself, what do I want out of this? It's important because there's, they're, they're everywhere, and if we don't get a hold of them, then we're going to passively just do whatever somebody else wants us to do, and it's not going to give us the life that we want, and we're going to end up burned out in the process. Let's keep moving. Picking up in verse 15. So he's just killed the Egyptian, and, uh, and he's got to run because uh, word gets out that Moses killed this Egyptian slave driver. The, the Hebrew slaves know that it happened, and he becomes worried that Pharaoh's going to find out. And so we pick up in the story uh, here in verse 15. When Pharaoh heard about it, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses ran away from Pharaoh and settled down in the land of Midian. One day Moses was sitting by a well. There was a Midianite priest who had seven daughters. Whew, good Lord. The daughters came to draw water and fill the troughs so that their father's flock could drink. But some shepherds came along and rudely chased them away. Moses got up, rescued the women, and gave their flock water to drink. When they went back home to their father, he was asked, how are you able to come back? I'm a professional. I know how to pronounce these words. <laughs> I took pronunciation in seminary. How are you able to come back home so soon today? And they replied, an Egyptian man rescued us from a bunch of shepherds. Afterwards, he even helped us draw water to let the flock drink. Ruel said to his daughters, so where is he? Why did you leave this man? Invite him to eat a meal with us. Moses agreed to come and live with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses as his wife. She gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom because, he said, I've been an immigrant living in a foreign land. A long time passed, and the Egyptian king died. The Israelites were still groaning because of their hard work. They cried out, and their cry to be rescued from their hard work rose up to God. God heard their cry of grief, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked at the Israelites, and God understood. So this is the part of Moses' story that we skip over a lot. Uh, whether we're doing a movie version or whether we're talking about it on Sunday morning, we don't, stick, we don't stay in the wilderness very long with Moses, which is kind of a shame because I think this is one of the most important parts of Moses' story, especially when I think about it in the context of how do I live today. Because here's the deal, living as a shepherd, as a, as a goat herder or a, or a donkey herder, still a herder, I don't know, uh, living as someone who has donkeys and goats in the hill country, like that's, that's not a bad thing, right? That's, there's a plenty of shepherds in the Bible that are celebrated, elevated, that have very important jobs, and, and, and so we don't think down on, we don't look down on shepherds, um, but is Moses supposed to be a shepherd? 
See, that's the question that I come to here, is Moses runs away, and he finds this really kind of beautifully simple life. He, he still has that heart that says, I'm not going to allow uh, oppression to happen. So when he comes across these women who are being attacked, he's like, no, I'm going to step in. And he does. And, and so then he meets his wife, and he has this family, and they get to have goats and donkeys, and he's going to have this very quiet kind of nomadic life in the wilderness. It doesn't sound bad. But then at the end... The people of Israel, the the Hebrew slaves, their voices rise up again. And so loud, in fact, that God even hears them in their pain. And it reminds me very quickly that Moses, (laughs) Moses may have killed an Egyptian back in Egypt, but they're still slaves. Like, he didn't solve anything. He stopped one slave from being beaten one day. I guarantee you that didn't last. (laughs) The problem is still there, and meanwhile, he's trying to pretend like living a quiet life in the hill country is what he's been called to do. And it makes me realize that in our effort to get to contentment, to be content and satisfied and happy in our lives, so often we settle for something, this sort of routine or this rut, this this sort of... uh, Option B, that's not what we're called to, and we go to it because it allows us to be numb. And we're not really satisfied or content or happy. We're, we're just numb because we don't have to deal with our problems anymore. Let me explain what this means. How many of us love Netflix or surfing the web on the computer? Yeah, that's my vice, right? Like, I don't smoke. I don't drink excessively. Um, I said excessively. Um, and... What I do is I like go on rabbit trails on the internet. And so like when I get stressed out, like I just go to Wikipedia. Wikipedia is my therapist, right? Um, And I just, I hop on there and I'll spend hours and hours just going down the rabbit trail of the internet. It's not healthy. It's not good. Now the internet is a fine thing. It's a good thing, right? But I use it in a way that's not good because what I'm using it for is a way to, to distract myself and to numb myself from what I really ought to be taking care of. And it can go the other way. Maybe you're not a hermit. Maybe you don't isolate, and maybe you're not an introvert in that way. Maybe you're the opposite, and you decide that when you get stressed out and when you don't want to deal with the issue, you're just going to overfunction and do everything all the time everywhere. And so you're on every board and every committee, and you're doing everything you can possibly do to fill your schedule so you don't have to sit for a second and think about what it is that you need to think about. All of us do this in, 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 in a multitude of ways, but we will, we will put ourselves in these routines or we'll find ourselves in these ruts. And instead of living the life that we're called to live, we're running from something and we're just numbing ourselves instead because we either don't want to deal with something on the inside or we don't want to deal with something on the outside. Have you ever been there before? Am I preaching to a wall? If this is you, say amen. You've been, if, you've, if you're there like right now, say amen. Okay, Good. I'm there like every day. Like this is something, there's a constant battle to not go to the wilderness. Because hear me correctly, there, there are ways to, everybody can live life different ways. I'm not saying you have to, your life has to look like mine. There's plenty of great shepherds in the world, but Moses was not called to be a shepherd. He was using it as a distraction and this sort of numbing medication because his real work was waiting for him in Egypt. And that's where God is going to force him to look in this really weird, psychedelic, trippy experience with a burning bush. Um, So let's keep moving. So Moses is is out one day with his flock, and he comes across, you you may have heard of the burning bush before. Um, So Moses comes across this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. 
And when he sees it, he hears the voice of God speak out. I was like, Moses, which right then, I would have been running, right? Like, like the fact that he stays like a bad, scary movie. Like, why are you standing around? This is a, a burning bush is yelling your name at you right now. You know, Moses, take off your shoes. You're like, yes, uh, burning bush, I'll do whatever you say. Please don't hurt me. Um, and so he has this radical encounter with God around this burning bush where, where God uh, tells him that he needs him to go back into Egypt and he needs to release the Israelites from their captivity and that God's gonna go with him. And so immediately though, Moses puts up a resistance. And, and the, for the rest of this sermon, we're gonna talk about this resistance and why he puts this up. So in verse 11 of chapter 3, Moses says this to God. After God has said, hey, here's what I want you to do. Moses says, who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. And like that right there should have been the end of the conversation, right? Like if I come across a burning bush and I don't run away, and it tells me to take my shoes off, and I do, and I apologize for my stinky feet, and then we begin talking, and he says, I need you to go to Israel, or go to Egypt, I need you to release the Israelites, and I go, what? How do you think I'm going to do that? He's like, no, I'll be with you. Oh, burning bush God? Yeah, I'm good. That sounds great. Seems like you've got this under control. Where do I go next, right? But that's not what Moses says at all. Moses said to, says to God, if I now come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors, we're, we're picking up again, there we go, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what is this God's name? Because remember, the Egyptians believed in this huge pantheon of gods, so they're going to want to get specific. They got like a Rolodex, which one was it again? Uh-huh, 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 oh, uh, I don't think we listened to him actually, you know, and so he says, what do I tell them when they ask me who you are? Now, I want to stop here for a second. I think that Moses is projecting a little bit <laughs> because what we'll find in this exchange is that Moses really isn't too concerned about who God is. Moses is really freaked out about not knowing who he is, right? So he's asking God, okay, so when they ask me who you are, what do I say to them? And God says to Moses, it's ah, like one of the best parts of the Bible. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Quote Eminem. No, I'm kidding. Um, I am who I am. I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God's response with this is, is so beautiful and so simple. And you know what? So many times, and, and rightly so, we say, wow, what a great expression for God saying who God is. You know, God is this all-encompassing alpha and omega, you know, eternal and historical and just omnipotent and crazy universal. And so I am who I am. What a great statement about God. I don't think God was just talking about God. I think God was speaking some words that he was praying that Moses could say back to him. When God says, I am who I am, it's this, it's this sort of an incredible statement of, I'm me. You ask me who I am, I'm me. I don't need to explain myself to you. I'm, I'm me. I'm not like anything else. I'm me. And during the course of this conversation, Moses is gonna fail to ever be able to say who he is. You know, I think God desperately wants Moses to say, I, I'm me. I am who I am. But instead, Moses is going to look around and point fingers and say, but what about them? What about them? What about them? And God's saying, no, no, no. 
who are you, Moses? So they keep going back and forth. He gets the I am who I am, which is like this monumental, like you walk into Pharaoh's palace and you say, the God who is has sent me to you. Like, whoa, that's some powerful stuff. And so Moses goes back to Pharaoh and says, you know, that's not going to work for me. What, or not, not to Pharaoh, he goes back to God, sorry. He says, I need more. Uh, what else can you say? And so God says, well, I'm the God of um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'm the God of your ancestors. Tell them that. And Moses says, okay, but like what else? You know, like he's not satisfied yet. And so then God says, oh, okay, I can, like, I can see God like rubbing his forehead. Okay, um, what, you got a stick? Okay, you got that, okay, put that stick on the ground. So he's got this stuff. He says, throw it on the ground. So he throws it on the ground. The stick becomes a snake, like before his very eyes. So now we've got burning bush, we've got a snake. In fact, Moses jumps back because the Bible wants to emphasize it's a real snake, right? And then God says, uh, reach out and grab the snake. And Moses, okay, he grabs it, turns back into a stick. Ta-da, it's like Chris Angel mind freak up in here. And Moses still is not happy. Well, what else? What if they don't, aren't convinced by the snake trick? And God's like, you've got to be kidding me. Take your hand, put it inside your coat. And so Moses puts it inside his coat. Take it back out, pulls it out. It's like leprous and dying, right? It's all white and flaky and gross. And so he goes, okay, put it back in, puts it back in, take it back out. It's chased. Ta-da, you know. Yeah, but like what else, right? Like it's like getting ridiculous. So God said, okay. When you talk to them, if they're still not convinced, you go out to the Nile, you drop some water, you pour it on the ground, it's going to turn into blood. Okay. So we've got, I am who I am. I'm the God of your ancestors. I can make bushes burn without burning up. I can make sticks turn into snakes that can kill you. I can make your hand die at a whim. And I can turn the life source of the Egyptians into blood. And then this happens. Moses says, okay, I hear you, um, but I have a stutter. I don't talk very good. That's his response, this whole exchange. Okay, God, I get that you are who you are, and you've got all these miracles, but I'm not very good at talking. I don't know how this is going to go. Which, like, it's silly, right? We're getting some laughter, a little bit, not much, but we're getting some. It's kind of a silly response at the surface level, but as I, I was reading this scripture this past week, and I was really thinking about it, and I was trying to put myself in Moses' shoes, I thought about Moses being like a, a, a young man, because it says after he had grown up to, I'm assuming about, you know, preteen, adolescent, he was brought into the palace of Pharaoh to be raised and, and instructed. I imagine that as a young man, as a young boy, he... He must have witnessed some pretty amazing speeches that Pharaoh had to deliver. I mean, think about what the Pharaohs in ancient Egypt accomplished. They had people build these massive pyramids and these huge statues and obelisks and all of these signs and wonders of how great their kingdom was. I mean, that doesn't happen without a little bit of inspiration. Oh, and also slavery. There's that too. But Pharaoh had to be this inspiring person to get this entire kingdom rallied around. Yes, let's kill ourselves and let's, and let's put everything we have into these pyramids and these, and these statues and these obelisks. Let's, let's build up our kingdom. Let's build up our king because the Pharaoh was not just a Pharaoh. He was also supposed to be a God king for these people. I mean, can you imagine the kind of speeches that Moses must have heard him deliver? And now God's telling him to go back into that palace, to go back into that kingdom, and to go toe-to-toe with this leader that Moses knows is a great leader. And he's looking at this leader, and he's saying, that's 
not me. I don't see how I compare to that. You're sending me into a heavyweight boxing match and, and, and I don't measure up. And it's tragic because Moses is stuck in this place of comparison. You know, all of this that he's asking God to prove is not because he's not convinced by God, it's because he's not convinced by himself. Do you get that? He doesn't think that he has what it takes. When he's failing to hear the God of the universe saying, I got this, just go. I got it, just go. But he can't get out of this position of comparison, and it's killing him, and it's killing the call that God has for his life. So what does this mean for us today? I know that none of us in here are goat herders, but all of us are being called out of the wilderness and being called to do something that really matters in this world. It may not be this grand gesture. You might not liberate an entire people group, but there is something important that God is calling you to. And for whatever reason, we are stuck in this mindset of comparison that says, I'm not ready, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I can't do this. And God's saying, yes, you can, because I'll be with you. I think about myself in my own life. When I first received my call to, to ministry, as I was sort of figuring that out as a 15-year-old, right? Like, I looked at, at the, the people that wore robes, and I'm going to be nice. They were um, experienced and boring. The ones that I was around, they were... They, some of them had lots and lots of uh, big words that they liked to trot out, and they, they knew things about money and building campaigns, and I like to eat pizza and sing about Jesus and go on mission trips. Like, I thought, that's not me. I'm never going to do that. Okay. I throw the robe on from time to time when they let me in big boy church. <laughs> I think about when I was approaching marriage with Reagan and, and how freaked out I got because I looked at the awesome husbands that I knew in my life and how good they were. And I thought, I'm an idiot. Like, I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to screw this up so bad. What am I doing? I don't measure up to these people. And now looking back, I can see God saying, I don't need you to be like any of them. I just need you to be you. I think about when Andy was on the way. And man, like we got some awesome dads in this church, amen? I know it's not Father's Day, but we can like say that other days than Father's Day. We've got some awesome dads in this church. Jimmy Emery, who's on staff, I'm gonna call him out for a second. He's our music director for the church. Uh, they have like 87 kids, and they're all like awesome, good, like good people. Like not just like, oh, they're so sweet. No, they're good people. And like he is Superman. And so I'm looking at being a dad. I'm like, I'm never going to be that. Like this is a joke. Andy is going to grow up hating me because she's going to be like, see the Emory kids? Yeah. <laughs> see what their dad's pretty awesome, you know. And I can hear God in the background saying, I don't need you to be Jimmy and I don't need you to be anybody else. I just need you to be you and know that I'm with you. So on this Sunday, I want you to leave today with a question on your heart. Um, 
And this is like a simple question, but it's a big question, and it's a deep question, and it's a question that you're going to have to carry with you for a long time because it takes time to figure this out. But the question is this, can you be content in who God is and who God has made you to be? Because until Moses was able to accept the fact that God didn't want anybody else but him to do this, until Moses could accept the fact that even with his stutter, God would be with him. Like, it sounds silly, but it's not. Uh, if you've ever had a speech impediment, that seems like a big deal. These things that we compare, they may look small on the outside, but on the inside, they're big. Until we can accept that these imperfections that we carry with us are okay, and that God has designed us specifically for a certain call. And here's the biggest deal, guys, is it's not just about us. Yeah, this is great for, like, self-awareness, and ooh, I feel so alive, and I feel so good with God. Wait, Moses' call was not about Moses. Who was it about? The Israelites. They were dying. They were suffering. They were being tortured. And it was on Moses to be able to answer that call. Your world is waiting for you to realize that there is no one but you that can live your life. And no one should. You are uniquely designed and equipped to live the life that God has called you to live, and there is a world waiting on you to embrace that. That's good news. I don't have to keep looking around at everybody. Because here's the deal. In order to make this shift to where we can be content in who God is and who God has made us to be, the way we make that shift, again, simple, really hard to do. We stop looking around at everybody us. We stop looking around at everybody around us and we start looking above us. As long as I'm looking around and using everybody around me as a measuring stick, I'm always gonna come up short. Fun study, UBS Bank did a study of millionaires, millionaires, assets at least a million dollars. You know what they found? 70% of those surveyed did not consider themselves wealthy. 70% of the millionaires they surveyed said, no, I'm not wealthy. You know what the craziest thing is? Almost to a T, every single one of them said, eh, if I had five million, then I'd probably be secure. <laughs> what? <laughs> we can look at my bank account real quick. <laughs> I know I don't feel secure right now. I know a million dollars, I'd be feeling pretty secure. I'd be feeling very secure, like Linus with his blanket secure. But no, I need five million. But you know how that works, right? Once they would get five, then what would they say? I need 10. Then once you get 10, then I need 20. Then I want to get... This is the way it works. As long as we're looking around at everybody else, there's always going to be someone whose bank account is fuller and someone whose teeth are a little whiter and somebody whose house is a little bigger and somebody whose corner office is a little bit higher up on the building, right? Until your name's on the building, it's not good enough, right? This is the way it works. Until we can stop looking around and instead look up and say, oh, you are who you are and you made me to be who I am and I can be okay with that. That is simple truth and difficult truth, and it's a lot to chew on, so I'm gonna stop. <laughs> I'm gonna trust that that's enough for you to chew on this week. Amen? Let's pray. God of creation, the God who knew us when we were in our mother's womb, the God who designed us to be quirky and different 
and unique. The God who is begging us to stop asking why we are not someone else. God, we ask that you would invade not just this space, but our hearts this morning. That you you would take what we've learned and you would allow us to carry it with us. That we can let some expectations go because the honest truth is we can't meet them all. That we would stop running to the wilderness and those things that we go to to try and numb us, to try and distract us from what we really need to be taking care of. But God, most of all, we just ask that you would give us a spirit of peace in knowing who you are and who you made us to be. Not just for our own sake, not just for our own peace of mind, not just so that we can wake up feeling good every morning, but because there is a world crying out that needs someone just like us to be there. God, thank you for the grace and the love and the mercy that you show us each and every day. All this we pray in the name of the one who calls us out of the wilderness still, the name of Jesus Christ, amen.